my message this morning. We, uh, we started this series of life here, it was a few weeks back, talking about life, talking about our inheritance, the heritage that we've been giving, not something that we get later on in life, not something that we get when, you know, when, when somebody passes on, but, but so much more so what we've been given, what's been equipped within us to begin life, those, those things we need to actually be able to succeed in life. That's what life is about. That's what Christ talks about. And we read the scripture where Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have life to the fullest. So we, we went from life into life to 2.0, not just come that you might have life, but, but come that you might be able to succeed, and, and not just succeed, not just make it, but that you would have everything that you need equipped to walk abundantly life to the fullest. Um, we started off the series by saying uh, a couple different keys to life 2.0. The first one was a heart of generosity. In order to succeed in life, one of the things that Christ exemplified was a heart of generosity. And he said, give, and it will come back to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. From there, we went into the, the next key, and the second key was the heart of serving. And we talked about why we serve. How Christ showed us, I have not come to be served, but to serve. And if that's the example of who we're supposed to be, then we too should lead by example as well, doing exactly as he did in serving others. Not just looking for what we can get out of life, but looking for what we can give out of life. This week, I want to talk about, but the greatest of these. But the greatest of these is, uh, some of you guys got it, but the greatest of these is love. A heart that loves, but more, but more so than, than just a heart that loves, I want to use this phrase here, this is a, a book I've been reading, love like you've never been hurt. Love like you've never been hurt. I've, uh, I've, I've officiated countless weddings, each one special in their own right, different in their own right, and, and you know, you have those that have, you know, spend extravagant amounts of money, and those that, that don't spend very much money at all, you have, you have those that dress up to the hilt, and those that, that just, you know, have something quiet and subdued with just families, there's across the gamut, but the one thing that most of them have in common, I dare say all of them, is at some point I will read 1 Corinthians 13. Why? It's the love chapter. I mean, what's a wedding if you can't read the love chapter, right? I mean, it's just, it's like the standard, the go-to, and, and we read through it, oh, we know all the loves is, and we know all the love is not, and it's, it's patient, it's kind, it's not boastful, proud, or rude, it, it doesn't demand its own way, but, but what I've found is it, it almost becomes rote, it almost becomes habit. We, it's another one of those verses we throw on the refrigerator but don't really give thought to. Well, that, that's what love is, but, but how do we apply it? There's one line, though, that catches me just about every time when I read through 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, says this, these, these three words. These three words, it says this, love never fails. Never fails. Not, not sometimes, maybe not fails. Not sometimes it will because things just didn't work out, but it's not only when people treat me right that it never fails. It, it says love never fails. And this seems strange to us. It's, it, seems, it, it seems almost absurd. Why? Because we've all been hurt by our own definition of love. Everybody in this room, I would dare say, everybody in this room has at one point in time experienced the pain, the hurt of love. 
And while today I am speaking on, on the why of love, Life 2.0, next week I, I want to start a, a new series that I want to call, uh, we're entitling Love Anyway. Um, and, and the whole premise behind it is, is the idea that, that there's going to be people in your life who are difficult. <laughs> Not just your spouse. Not just family members. There's people that are needy. There's people that are manipulative. There, there, there's people that, that are, are conniving. There's people that, that are controlling. They're critical. And so how do, you, how do you love? So this week, today, we're wrapping up Life 2.0. It's the why of love. Come next week, we're going to start the, the how of love. Today, when we read Love Never Fails, it, it, it's easy, I think, to look at that scripture and think, well, that's, that's his love. Sure, that's God's love. God, God's love never fails. But, but again, if, if he's our example, if he's who we should emulate, if he's who, who we should try and exemplify, then, then maybe, maybe too, that he showed us an example of a love that never fails. And we have the ability to walk in life 2.0. We're going to need to show a love that never fails, a love like you've never been hurt. Uh, this book by Jensen Franklin. He's a pastor out of uh, the Georgia area. And uh, in it, he talks about why he named the book this title. And this title actually comes from a quote from a, a very, I say famous and yet somewhat obscure man. If you know baseball, if you're, if you're history, if you have any history baseball knowledge, you'll know of a man by the name of Leroy Satchel Page. A lot of people don't know Satchel. Satchel has been in the, uh, in the Baseball Hall of Fame for many years. Leroy Satchel Page. He was, I believe, the sixth African-American to make it into the Major League Baseball. History actually says, although Jackie Robinson was the first, it, it should have been Leroy Satchel Page. Leroy paved the way. Played Negro baseball in the Negro Leagues for, for over 20 years was phenomenal, and he, he paved the way, but, but they said, well, we want a younger man to, to kind of come in, and so they brought in Jackie Robinson as the first African-American in base, Major League Baseball. Leroy was a pitcher, the very first pitcher inducted into the Hall of Fame, very first African-American pitcher inducted into the Hall of Fame. He had some crazy wild pitches. He had one that they actually eventually had to rewrite Major League Baseball rules and regulations because it was this, this hesitation pitch. And one player even said, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, it was Jackie Robinson who said, well, it's, it's, it's not legal, but it's not illegal. Many people said he was the greatest pitcher they ever went up against. Many different stories are told about Leroy Satchel Page. In fact, uh, uh, one of them was that... Uh, um, well, in that time, it was, it was uh, there was a lot of division, racial, racial division, a lot of hurt, a lot of pain. And so it, when he finally made it, in his 40s, when he, in the 40s, when he was uh, finally brought into the major leagues, with ba Major League Baseball, he was pitching, and, and the, the fans would just yell racial slurs at him, trying to intimidate him, trying to throw him off, just uh, ug ugly, ugly stuff. It said at one time, one team got up, and, and what they did is, normally, if you know baseball, you, you hit one, two, and three are, are, are good, good batters. One, two, and three are good batters. You want them to get on base. Your fourth is cleanup. 
Number four is the one that's going to knock them all in. Well, this one team came up, and just to, just to intimidate them, as the fans are all yelling their racial slurs, they, they, all, they stacked their one, two, three, and four, all their home runs. They just wanted to completely humiliate them. It said that Leroy actually turned around, looked at his outfield, told him to go on into the dugout, looked at his infield, and said, sit down on your bases, sit down where you're at, and went on to strike one, two, three, strike the lineup right out. <laughs> um, he even went on, he pitched into his late, late 50s. Unheard of. Again, with all the racial tension, the divide at the time, there was one particular instance where the, the crowd was, was beyond ugly. Yelling at him, attacking him, slurs, screaming from the stands, and, and, and almost in, in a taunt, almost jeering, they, they yelled out, they screamed out, well, how do you feel about that? And history writes that he said this one line, you gotta love like you've never been hurt. It was a choice. It wasn't an emotion, it wasn't a feeling, it wasn't because it felt right, it wasn't because it, it, it was even the right thing to do at the time, it was, it was more because it was a choice internally, something he had to choose to do. The truth about life for all of us is that sooner or later, everyone is gonna suffer hurt. You're going to be rejected, you're, you're gonna be let down, you're, you're gonna be talked about, you're gonna be stabbed in the back, you're gonna have conflict with somebody, and in all probability, it could very well be somebody that you love. Even while I'm even just, just saying these words, I know within this room, there's people in here that are, uh, other people's faces are coming to mind, instances coming to mind, situations we're dealing with, going through. Mark Twain had a quote that said this, if you find a dog on the side of the road that's hurt, starving, mangy, dirty, and dying, if you feed that dog, you take it home, you groom it and nurture it back to health, that dog will never bite you. He then went on to say, therein lies the major difference between a human being and a dog. Because the sad thing is, many times, the very people that you, that you love the most are the ones that hurt you the deepest. Jesus in Matthew 17 said offenses will come. We teach a whole series at the beginning of every year on relationships, on, on how we should walk in relationships and, and not take on offense, but, but it happens. Offenses happen. That's why, we're, that's why we teach the relationship principles, because offenses do come. You're gonna be offended. You're gonna get in conflict with somebody that you love. It's easy, it's easy to get along with somebody as long as things are going well. As long as you agree on everything, as long as, as long as you agree religiously, as long as you agree lifestyle, as long as you agree, as long as you agree, it's easy to get along with someone. But what do you do when you get into a conflict, when you don't agree? It honestly, I, I, it seems like, not you guys, other people, it seems like some people wake up in the morning like looking for reasons just to hurt you. Again, not, not this church, nobody here, but... Somewhere you're going to be hurt. Somewhere, somehow, you're going to be offended. Somewhere, somehow, you're going to be deeply wounded. Maybe with a, a parent, maybe a child, maybe, maybe an in-law, maybe somebody you work with. Somebody at some point is going to betray you. How's that for an encouraging message? 
But the truth is, our love isn't based on a feeling, an emotion, but instead a choice. We have to rise up and love like we've never been hurt. Throughout Scripture, you see instance after instance, uh, example after example that I, I think are there for the specific reasons of showing us. Not just a, a fun story to read, but more so something to, to realize and as well to emulate. You think about the story of Joseph. Joseph in the Old Testament, here was a young boy, the youngest of 12, and, and his brothers hated him so much that they actually beat him up, threw him into a pit, were going to come back and kill him, but decided, no, better off, we'll sell him into slavery, make a little money off of him, take his coat, rip it up into shreds, and go show dad, sorry dad, a mountain lion ate him. <laughs> Joseph. All of a sudden, years, years, years later, he's actually number two in command, gone from slavery all the way up to number two in command in all of Egypt, directly underneath the Pharaoh. And Joseph, in his wisdom from God, he, he had had visions from the Lord, and, and he had started setting aside, setting aside all the different grain and feed, and, and all of a sudden, years of famine had come upon the land, and now the whole land is coming to Joseph saying, we're out of food, we have nothing, what can you give us? And so here's Joseph standing as number two in all of Egypt, and now his brothers come back to him, don't recognize him, but they're, they're standing before him, bowing, saying, can we please have some food? In our minds, the immediate go-to is, well, this is it, God's given me my chance. This is where I get to exact revenge for what they've done. Here's Joseph standing before his brothers who betrayed him. Here's Joseph looking out and, and seeing the, the, the bread maker, the, also the, the, the wine drinker at the time. And, and both of these guys, he had helped out of prison. He had, when he was in prison, he helped them actually to, to rise up and to be released from prison. And they had completely forgotten who he was and left him there. He's looking out as well. I can only imagine that, that as he stares out over the crowd, he, he sees Potiphar's wife who was the very reason he, she, had, she had lied about him. She had said all these things about him and ended up, that was the reason he was sent to jail when he was first brought into, into Egypt. All these people standing before him and he, he very well, very easily could have exacted revenge. But he made a decision. He, he said, I'm gonna love these people who've done wrong to me. I'm gonna love them like I've never been hurt. He went on and he actually saved not just his family, but, but the known world at the time because of the vision that God had given him to set aside grain. All because he chose to love like he had never been hurt. You think about Moses, kind of just the opposite, whereas Joseph grew up uh, in poverty and rose up in, into, in, the, in the ranks. Moses, almost just the opposite, he, he grew up in the palace. He grew up, you know, living up here. But the whole while he was living in the palace, he was looking at his people who were, who were out there, and, and he wanted to help them. He wanted to benefit them. And so all of a sudden there was an opportunity that arose, and, and he went out there and he saw a, an Egyptian whipping an Israelite. And so Moses took it upon himself. He wanted to help this Israelite out, and he actually killed the guard. Instead of the thanks that he should have deserved, instead of the, the praise, the Israelites looked at him with spite looked at him with anger and said, oh, sure, you, you live in the palace. What, are you our savior now? They started cursing him. They started hating on him and ended up Moses, they actually told on him. <laughs> and so Moses had to run. He, he was betrayed by his own people. He, he runs into the wilderness and he hides for 40 years. 
stuck in the wilderness. He went from the palace now down to the very bottom. And all of a sudden in the wilderness, God shows up one day, shows up in a, in a burning bush and says, Moses, I, I need you. I need you to save the Israelites. And in Moses' mind, he immediately said, I tried that. I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to do something for them, but, but they wouldn't have me. They didn't like me. They rejected me. I, why would I go back there and help them now? I've been stuck in the wilderness. I used to live in a palace, and look where I'm at now. How can I help them? God said, go back and love them like you've never been hurt. Moses went back, set the Israelites free. But guys, we have to understand that God has called us to love like we've never been hurt. David, a man after God's own heart. A man after God's own heart, but you think about the story of David. You think your family, who, I won't even make you raise your hand, whose family is, is like totally whack. Just don't raise your hands. Think, li, listen to this, all right? David had a father who didn't believe in him. When the prophet Samuel came to Jesse, David's father, and said, God has told me that one of your sons is going to be king. Jesse was like, well, let me gather all my sons together. The other seven brothers, Samuel's looking over all of them and saying, I'm, this can't be all. This isn't, this isn't it. And, and Jesse's like, no, this is the only one. I, look, I've got one other, but he's redheaded. <laughs> you don't want him. It, the Bible says that. The Bible says he's redheaded. Uh-uh. How terrible is that? His dad said, you don't want David. He was number eight in line, the little runt. It goes on to say David's own brothers mocked and made fun of him. When he, when he would go into battle, they would say, that's not the way you can do it. You, you've got this wrong. You're not going to make it. He had a wife who put him down, mocked him, belittled him in front of his people just because of how he worshipped. He had a son named Absalom who completely betrayed him. He had a father-in-law who tried to kill him. Not just wanted to kill him. Literally threw a spear at him trying to kill him. Sent armies after him just to try and kill him. See, you think your family is messed up. And David, when... When his father-in-law, after, after, after sending armies against him, after throwing spears at him, after, after making his life just a miserable hell, after all these things, all of a sudden there's Saul sleeping right in front of David and, and Saul's none the wiser. And David could have thought, here it is, God has presented me my revenge, I can, I can take it out. But in dead, instead, David said, I, I have to love like I've never been hurt. God will fight your battles, and you'll walk in life 2.0 when you love like you've never been hurt. In this day and age, in, in this time, so many Christian homes, yes, we have life and, and we have salvation, but, but families are in a mess. Families are hurting because we don't know how to love one another. I dare say this morning, there's parents in here who are estranged from their own children. I, I, I hear stories all the time of, uh, well, I, I, haven't, 
I haven't spoken to my parents in, in this many years, or, or no, I haven't spoken to my, my, uh, my child in, in this many years, or I haven't seen a, a grandchild since they were born, and I, I, I don't know. There was a conflict, and, and we don't talk anymore. Families suing each other, taking each other to court. And sometimes I hear a lot as, with, with, even within the church, as Christians, we will say, oh, you know, well, they've chosen a, a, a life of sin, so I've chosen to cut them off. I don't see that in Scripture anywhere. Nothing, I think, could be further from what God has called us to do. But it's because we think that somehow when we have conflict, we can, we can just write those people off. Paul, Paul said that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Each and every one of us has been given the ministry of reconciliation, reconciling, trying to, trying to reconcile differences in as much as you can, in everything, as, as much as it is up to you, live at peace with all men, he said. In Ephesians 2, he said this, when you were estranged from God and, and when you had no righteous compass, you were despicable, you were wrong, but God who is rich in mercy, the one who knows the truth even about you, took the first step and every other step since then to reconcile you back. He did everything that he could, and to this day, he's still leaving the 99 to find the one. And now, so the same, God saying to us, having freely received, freely give. He's saying, I want you to reconcile with your own kin, with your own blood, with your families. Sometimes you have to look at family, look at kids who have failed and say, look, I, I, I may not agree with your lifestyle. I may not agree with, with the direction you're going in life, but let me assure you of one thing. I love you, and I will never leave you. I may not approve of what you're doing, but as long as you live, you're mine, and I love you. And that doesn't necessarily mean that, that, we, that we aid or finance you know, things that they're involved in, but, but, but nothing's going to stop us from calling, from reaching out, from trying. From, and guys, look, it, it, may take a, it may take days, it may take weeks, it may take your lifetime. But I'm going to keep on loving you like I've never been hurt because love never fails. The greatest example in Scripture, Jesus. Afflicted. Scripture says, wounded, beaten, bruised. Romans, in that day and age, when you, when you read history, you, you find out that they actually studied death. They knew the human body, the human anatomy. That's why some of the most famous sculptures that we see today were, were done during that period because they took time to, to study how muscles worked, how, how tendons grew, and, and how the body worked. But then they, they as well, they, they figured out with that how they could inflict the most pain, how they could inflict the most hurt. The scourging, the whips that Jesus took were actually designed to, to completely debilitate an individual. To rip flesh directly from bone. And, and they would do the 39 lashes in such a way that it actually took off the, 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 the ability to, to walk, to use your limbs, to breathe. 
And then from there, they took him and they nailed him to the cross. Again, having studied, they, they looked and they researched and they figured out the, the most painful way to kill somebody, to leave somebody dying for days where they couldn't get a breath because of the way that they hung. It would actually collapse your lung. And so what you'd have to do is you'd actually have to push up on the nails driven in either side of your ankles. You'd have to shove up on those, on those, on those, on those nails to, to try and just catch a breath. And then you'd fall down again. Your lung's collapsing, but now you're hanging from nails in your arms. It was researched methodically. Bruised. For our iniquities. And yet on the cross, the very people that put him there, the very ones that were inflicting that pain, he, he lifts his voice. He didn't wait until they asked for forgiveness. You see, he made a decision because, because forgiveness is not an emotion. Love is not an emotion. It's a choice. It's a decision. Forgiveness can rewrite futures. The Christian walk is, is, is nothing but a journey in forgiveness. And Jesus, hanging on the cross, looked down and said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He said, I'm going to love them like I've never been hurt. These nails, this, these, these stripes, this, this crown of thorns, this, the slurs, everything that they're yelling, the pain in my body, I'm going to love those same people who did it to me like I've never been hurt. How often do we have to do that? How often do we have to forgive? How often do we have to love? Peter asked that same question of Jesus. <laughs> Peter said, how many times do we have to forgive? Now, personally, you read in Scripture that Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. So we know that at some point in time, Peter was married. I'm thinking that's why he had to ask, how many times do I have to forgive? That's just my opinion. Scripture doesn't say that. <laughs> I'm joking. Look, Peter, Peter, was, Peter was, was one of the disciples who, who literally, he had, it's, it shows you, he'd jump up, he'd cuss you, he'd fight you, he'd cut somebody's ear off. The guy would cut you and then turn right around and preach at you. That was Peter. And in that day and age, religious law demanded that, that you must forgive somebody three times. Pharisees had written a law that said you must forgive three times. After three times, you can write somebody off. And so Peter, being super spiritual, looking at Jesus, knowing that, that Jesus was different than the law, he said, all right, Jesus, well, well, according to you, how many times do I have to forgive? The Pharisees say three, but, but let's make it super spiritual. I'll go above doubling what they say to do. How about seven times? And Jesus looks at him and says, no. You need to love like you've never been hurt. You need to forgive. It's seven times 70. Peter was looking for the mathematical formula to forgive, but Jesus was looking for a lifestyle. You have to be open to forgiveness. You have to be open to forgiveness. Despite the hurt, despite the pain, yes, I, I know people have done you wrong. But the first step to reconciliation is, is being open. It's, it's stepping out. It's trying. It's, it's just speaking to, to that family member, to, to that brother, that sister, the mom, the dad, the, whoever it is. It's reaching out and trying. To walk in life 2.0, you have to choose to love, choose to forgive. You have to open up. That's how forgiveness works. 
The realization that, that forgiveness isn't something you feel, but, but instead it's a choice you make. You open up and you say, look, I'm, I'm open to reconciliation. The healing, Scripture even says. You start trying, and you keep trying, and you keep trying. Guys, I, I'm talking about real forgiveness. I'm not talking about, a, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to love them, but I don't got to like them. When somebody really does something that offends you, it's not just a, a might try, but it's a keep on trying. Why? Because, because forgiveness is not about keeping score. It's about losing count. <laughs> There's no mathematical formula. How many times do you have to forgive? Forgiveness is not about keeping score. It's about losing count. It's a lifestyle. Uh, you may have heard somebody say that there's the one unforgivable sin and, and Jesus said that, that if you blaspheme the whole Holy Spirit that's, that's the unforgivable sin but that's, that's not that's not all there is because Jesus also said if you don't forgive those who've done you wrong your heavenly father can't, won't forgive you Guys, I, I, there's, there's families here this morning that are in seasons of hurt. There's individuals here that are estranged that are, uh, and man, I, I can't tell you how much I want to pray for you, for your family this morning. As the band comes back up, I, I, I still have a bit more here, but I, man, I'm, I'm telling you, if you open up, if you start trying, what does that mean? Hey, reach out, send a card, send a note. They may accept it, they might, they might not. But you can be at peace and you can let God deal with it. Why? Because, because love never fails. The never-ending, reckless love of God. Somewhere even this morning in, in our town, right here, there's, there's, there's a young lady, who, a young girl who, who's giving birth out of wedlock and, and the parents are sitting there in scorn and, and, and in whether it's, it's the parents mad at, at that boy that did this to the daughter or, or, or mad at the daughter that tried to seduce their son, whatever it is, that we, we, we have this tendency, we want to write them off and we want to say, well, then no more. But man, I, I'm telling you, what they need more than anything is is somebody to come in and say, look, let me, let me show you how to, how to change a diaper. Let me show you how to live life. Let me show you what's going to happen now. Let me walk with you. This is what love does. This is what love is. There's families here today that are at odds with each other. A husband and wife that don't speak to father and mother-in-law anymore because, because somebody said something, did something. and Love never fails. Even this morning within this room, I, I would believe that, that there's a husband and a wife and somebody cheated on somebody else, was unfaithful. And look, legally, legally, you can write them off. You can go look in the books and it says, yep, you have every, every right to write them off. In fact, I would dare even say, scripturally, there's grounds that, yeah, you could serve them papers. 
Or maybe. Or maybe, 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 maybe God wants something more. Maybe God wants to work through this situation. Maybe God wants to reveal to you a love that never fails. A love that loves like it's never been hurt. A walk in life 2.0, an abundant life, man. But you got to realize his love. That even while you were still a sinner, even while you still chose to hurt him, even when you still chose to reject the very love, when you were the very one that was throwing slurs at Christ on the cross, he looked down and said, forgive him. He still reached out and touched you, set you free. Man, we need to move a God in our families so much more so than you can even begin to imagine. more than you can ever imagine. I think that's one of the biggest attacks of the enemy is it starts in the family because if he can, if he can, if he can destroy the family, then, then he can destroy the idea of who God is. If God is father and I don't like my father, then maybe God would do me wrong too. Job, his own friends looked at him and said, don't, don't, don't like God, don't, don't just curse him and die. His wife looked at him and said the same. And Joseph, even despite losing his children, losing his family, losing his his livestock, losing everything, still said, "Uh uh-uh, not my God. He chose to love like he'd never been hurt, and God redeemed. God came in and and blessed him double, beyond what he had before. The enemy wants to come in and destroy love. Change the idea of what love is and, and assure you, well, well, love hurts. But I'm here to tell you, no, no, no. Love, love never fails. If you'd stand with me this morning, I want to pray with everybody here this morning. And, and guys, I can't encourage you enough to reach out, to, to try, to, to, to find those who you're estranged from. We need the miracle of reconciliation in our houses, in our lives. With mothers, with fathers, with sons, with daughters. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your grace, God. Your love and your mercy that looked down upon us even while we were still sinners and said, Father, forgive them. That you became one of us in person of your son. You, You took sin on the cross died in our place, you rose again, Lord God, so that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord would be saved. Completely brand new. Forgiven. Not that we would become a a religious person or or, or that we would become some some individual that goes to church, Lord God, but, but that we could have a living relationship with a loving God, something that was different, something that meant something, something that was internally changing, that actually created within us a a difference, a desire to emulate you, Lord God, to exemplify you. Life 2.0 walked out because of the grace of your son. There are those here this morning, Lord, uh, that I know would say I've been hurt. They've taken on offense of somebody else or or they've been hurt directly, indirectly, Lord God. And Look, if you're here this morning and you're going through something, whatever it is, man, I'd love the opportunity to pray for you. I'm not going to call you up to the front or or, or call you out or or make you spin around and, and go and confront that individual right now or 
but I would love to pray for you. And it just as simple, if you just raise your hand, I just want to make eye contact with you and pray for you. Across the room. Across the room. Awesome. Awesome. Guys, I'm here to tell you there's a God who forgives, a God who loves, and, and at the same time, not just does that for you, but then, but then exemplifies it in such a way that he wants to see you be able to do that for others. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's going gonna, it's gonna to be reciprocated. But what I can say is it's blessed. It's life 2.0. It's, it's a decision. It's not a feeling. It's a, it's a lifestyle. It's forgiveness. It's every day. Lord God, for those across this room that have raised their hand, that are hurting, that are, that are, that are in situations, Lord God, estranged from, from loved ones or, or whatever the situation is, Lord God, somebody hurt them, whether it was a spouse or a parent or a child or, or a family member, a coworker, whatever the situation, God, we know that your love is different. We know your love says love never fails, Lord God. It's not something that, that, that is, is the love that we talk about today. It's not an emotion. It's not the, the heebie-jeebies or the feelings I get, but it's so much more God it's the overwhelming never ending reckless love of a God who looked down and said while you were still a sinner while you yet didn't even care I cried out father forgive them God, God I, I pray for reconciliation for a revival Lord God for your presence for the healing power of your spirit within people's lives across this room we pray, Lord, this morning for those who've wronged us. We pray for even those who have wronged us. Lord God, knowing that, that our prayers may not change them necessarily, but Lord God, but, but we know it changes us. And as far as it depends on us, lead us, empower us, guide us, Lord God, by your spirit to continue to choose forgiveness. I ask, Father, for healings and marriages in families, in parents and children's, Lord God, siblings for, for relationships, for friendships. I pray families would come together, Lord God. They would, they would sit down together. They would talk together, Lord God. And above all, that they would love one another like they've never been hurt. Just as you did for us on your cross, Lord God. I thank you. We thank you, Lord God, for the gift of love. And Father, just as we have freely received, I pray too that we now freely give. In your mighty name I pray. Amen. Amen. Guys, love like you've never been hurt. God bless you guys. Y'all have a great, great week. We'll talk to you soon.